I've always thought that one of the best things about MMA is that everyone has their own style. Some people watch Mike Tyson on TV and want to learn how to throw massive punches. Or if you're Adesanya, you know, you're trying to replicate some anime fight scene. We've seen some really unique and really effective styles throughout the history of the sport, but they have only worked for so long before they got figured out by the rest of the competition or they were forced to make changes themselves. So today, I'm Balian from MMA On Point. Just going to give a quick high five to all our Hall of Famers. Thanks for supporting the content, guys. And here are 10 fighters. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Figured out. Number 10, Kevin Randleman. There are definitely things easier to do at school than decide to grapple with other dudes in the gym at lunchtime. You know, most people are just sat around trying to chat up girls. I'd like to run a few wrestling names for myself by you. Now, I've narrowed it down to Luscious Lou and Texas Joe Hot Dog. The point is, Kevin Roundelman was one of those guys that was in the wrestling room getting good at the art of taking and holding people down. He wasn't just good, by the way. He was a multiple-time champion. So Kevin Randleman, the senior from Sandusky, keeps his undefeated record intact. He becomes the 160-pound champion. And when he was done with wrestling, he had the perfect base to get into mixed martial arts, which was basically just getting started and wrestlers were kicking ass. No one could stop his takedown, and when he was on top, he was a monster. He won the UFC heavyweight title, but he eventually ran into Randy Couture, who was the first to discover that if you put him on his back and took him down, he was virtually defenseless. Then more and more opponents began to figure this out, and sometimes he'd be winning, and they'd find that one opportunity to get on top, and that would be it. The fight was already over. Randleman's kind of that guy who is the definition of he can win when he's the hammer, but not when he's the nail. Number nine, Justin Gaethje. Look, I'm not Dominic Toretto. Your name is Harry, isn't it? I'm never going to play chicken with someone in my car at full speed, but let's face it, I mean, that's basically what Justin Gaethje was doing in his early MMA career. He'd run at you full pelt and force you to brawl with him, or at least push the pace so freaking high someone was going to gas, and his money was on you before him. Chuck in a couple of devastating leg kicks so you can't run away from him as he chases you down, and you've basically got Justin Gaethje version one in a nutshell, and a guy who also went 18-0 using that style on people, Oh, he's down! He's down! This one is over! Which, I mean, I don't think I need to say it. That is incredibly impressive. But Eddie Alvarez was the first man to beat him, and he didn't do it easily, but he started going to the body, and that completely sapped what the highlight had left in the tank, and he was able to finish him. The Homer Simpson of MMA then fought Dustin next, and he must have been paying attention as well, because he used the same game plan, went to the body, and managed to outlast Justin as well. He probably had a chat with Trevor Whitman after that, and that's when he stopped playing human chicken with people and changed up his style, which actually turned out to be way more effective than his old game plan anyway. Number eight, Vitor Belfort. What even is a phenom anyway? It's kind of a personal thing. I mean, I need to Google this shit. A person who is outstandingly talented or admired. I mean, that's pretty damn accurate when you're talking about Vitor Belfort. When he popped up at UFC 12, he was a goddamn phenom. He was 19 years old, four-time Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, and he could throw those devastatingly quick punches and rapid combination. Not much of his early competitions stood a chance at all, really, and he took a lot of them out in just a minute. But Randy Couture showed that if you could just make it past the first sort of five minutes his power and speed would quickly fade and in 
wasn't anywhere near the same level of threat. Then, after a few losses, he did actually become more conservative with his gas tank, as we slowly sort of saw throughout the rest of his career more and more people figure that out. Obviously, when he was in his whole TRT era, well, not many people could actually survive the opening onslaught anyway. Everything got approval, you know. I never hide anything from anybody, you know, the media. I learned in the Bible that the truth sets you free, you know. And I'm righteousness in the relationship in my life every day. Because you had a guy like Luke Rockhold this week saying you're a dirty fighter. How, how do you respond to that? I think his head is too sp- Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Spinning from that kick. But after that, it was even more apparent that Vitor had about three minutes of fight in him and then he would topple like a cursed UFC pay-per-view. Number seven, Edson Barbosa. I don't think many people know that much about Edson Barbosa. Did you know he was born prematurely at 28 weeks and given just a 50-50 chance of survival? And then he turned that into a 25-3 and Muay Thai career. O Júnior é considerado uma espécie de terrível do esporte, com apenas sete meses praticando... Where he got 17 first-round finishes. It's not surprising, really, when you see him fight. He's easily one of the top five kicking games in MMA of all time. Speed, power, and accuracy as well. It all added up to him winning the Ring of Combat Lightweight Championship and then his first four UFC fights. He was undefeated, and then Jamie Varner pressured him, took him down, and finished him in the first round. But it wasn't for a while that other people started to repeat that game plan. Edson has always been very slick, and then nine UFC wins later, he was still beating the likes of Pettis, Melendez, Dariush, and then Habib pressured him, took him down, took away the space for his kick, and just drowned him. The look on his face said it all, and that was a game plan replicated by Kevin Lee and many others who discovered that making Edson the kicking machine fight off the back foot or off his back made him a much less dangerous guy. Number six, the Diaz brothers. There's still tons of people out there who think the Diaz brothers' style of fighting is still one of the coolest in the sport. Both boys are great boxers in their own way. Nick typically fights with a lot more pressure. Nate's an outside sniper. But both guys who grew up on the streets of Stockton developed a real war mentality. Obviously, both guys have great cardio and great jiu-jitsu, and they have used both to batter a ton of people throughout their respective MMA careers. For me, I do a lot of Xterra. It's a lot of off-road, so I... Training, you know, it's a mountain bike triathlons, you know, they're they're on the dirt. The same thing for MMA, you know, I like it because it's all these aspects you're going to cover for um, uh-huh. MMA and then same for triathlon, you know, all the swim, bike, and run. And of course, made a bunch of people tap out as well. But being a good enough wrestler to stop the jiu-jitsu like Diego Sanchez did and Clay Guida did was one thing. That certainly worked if you were good enough but they were still both able to beat a ton of guys on the feet or on the ground. The game plan really came out when Nate got his title shot against Benson Henderson. That was when the heavy lead leg of that Diaz boxing style got exposed. After that, we're throwing spinning shit now. With no real takedown game, several times the Diaz brothers have been at the mercy of distant strikers who just stayed on the outside and picked them apart where there was very little they could do about it. Number five, Leo Machida. 
Look, for the longest time, nobody thought karate worked in mixed martial arts. I guess because grappling became so dominant and the most important thing to learn, well, most people just boxed and then used Muay Thai because of the knees and elbows, you know. Lyoto Machida changed all of that. Lyoto Machida taking on Stefan Bonner. He had a very traditional karate style built around blitzes and the actual execution of his striking techniques were very, very different from almost everyone else. But he also took it upon himself to learn BJJ, boxing, Muay Thai and and Japanese wrestling before he made the transition to the UFC. Inaki was in the crowd, and he congratulated me by slapping me in the face three times. Which made him a pretty dangerous guy. His rise through those other MMA promotions on his way to the big show was also super impressive, but especially in the UFC, guys just couldn't seem to land a glove on him. The guy was a real puzzle to solve, and he went 16-0 and won the belt before anyone could put the pieces together. But Shogun was the first guy that beat him, and he did it not by chasing him around, but by exchanging with him, waiting for his blitz, and throwing at the same time. Welcome to the Machida era. As effective as Leo was at darting in, it also made him vulnerable and it became the key to unlocking the mystery of the karate master. Number four, Mark Coleman. I mean, just looking at the hammer, it's not hard to see what his ancestors did for a living. You know what I mean? Probably worked in mines hauling giant rocks because Coleman. Either way, that's what at least it looked like he'd been doing when he showed up. It was a big, muscled-up, muscly man, and that was the game plan, wasn't it, really? Just grab the other guy and squeeze him. But uh, when he took away headbutts, uh, I had to learn a lot of other skills. Look, like, seriously, some of his early submissions were just him crushing the other dude. But he also invented ground and pound as well, I suppose. People like me because I beat people up. In just under a year, he won six UFC fights and two UFC tournaments just by being a hulking monster. Then it was Maurice Smith who kind of discovered that having that much muscle can only mean one thing. You're going to get tired. And when that happens, they're as useful as a vacuum cleaner in John Jones's hotel room. Once everyone had seen that, that was the new game plan to beat Coleman. Let him wear himself out and then just push him over or head kick him. Mark had to go and learn some actual MMA skills after that so he could continue to compete. And he stopped fighting like Bruce Banner and you know what? He didn't do too badly. Number three, Anthony Pettis. How many people have literally made a commentator say he ran off the wall like a ninja? I'm going to go with one, all right? Because you're not really supposed to run off the wall, are you? Spider-Man. Oh my gosh, this is it. Tell everyone to hang on. But it worked for Anthony Pettis, who, by the way, was an absolute killer in the WEC. And why was he so good? Because he was a Taekwondo black belt with an amazing submission game. So he'd throw some absolutely insane kicking technique. I mean, he got three triangles in the WEC. He was a unique problem to solve and a pretty flashy one as well. But because Frankie and Gray Maynard drew in the UFC title fight, Anthony didn't get an immediate title shot at the UFC belt. So he instead fought Clay Guida, who showed exactly how you beat this guy. Non-stop, constant pressure, take away the space for his flashy kicks, and when he's tired, dump him and control him. He's, he's like a puzzle, you know? You just gotta try to figure him out slowly, you know? If you try to follow him the whole time, he's gonna beat you. The thing is, Anthony didn't fight another guy who could do this to him for a while after that. Gilbert Melendez tried, but he got uh, guillotined. But RDA fought Showtime for the title, and he absolutely demolished him with the same game plan. Then Eddie Alvarez, and after that, no one gave Pettis the space to use his fancy flying, sidewinding, kicking missiles. They just kept pressuring, pressuring, pressuring him, which I think is a bit rude, to be honest. You want to get to him, you got to go through me. Number two, Dominic Cruz. There's quite a few people that have Dominic Cruz listed as their favorite fighter. And although the way he talks trash and his deadpan comedy is pretty entertaining. Sometimes it takes more cojones to stop yourself than it does to keep going. And that's something Mike 
Bisping can learn about no, from Frankfurt. He's such a lovable guy. I actually have been to a lot of people. You know, we get along, don't no, we? No, just, just fine. Yeah. So <laughs> I never want to punch you in the face ever. It's mainly because of his fighting style, which is one of the most unique and fun things to watch in MMA. My mindset said I have to fight, do something different, because this is a new sport with new rules and new different equipment than has ever been seen in the history of this world. As long as I don't fight on the center line all the time, it takes away almost all weapons. I always had that mentality rather than fight fire with fire. It just didn't make sense to me when my body was on the line. I wanted the path of least resistance. It worked phenomenally. People just didn't know what to do with him. They couldn't get their hands on him. And after 11 years of fighting, he only lost once. And that was in his WEC debut when he fought Uriah Faber for the title. And he was just 23 years old. I mean, that set up a whole rivalry of Faber's team, Alpha Male. And he ended up going 7-1 and one against those guys. They tried for years to find an answer to his style. TJ even adopted some of it. Essentially, every single person I've ever fought for the past 10 years has at some point been friends with Faber, trained with that camp because they were the little guy camp. Well, I said, why join him if you can beat him? And I just did it my own way and let them all hate me and train together. But Cody Garbrandt was the one who put everything they learned into practice and he figured him out. And rather than chase Dom around, he didn't bite on the feints and he had the speed and the timing to wait and then counter Cruz as he stepped in. Obviously movements that I'm yes. doing and they can be read. It took 30 rounds to figure out with the same camp for 10 years, but they figured it out. Cejudo essentially did the same thing and so did Vera, really. You can't deny though, Dominic really wrote the book on stance switching and much of the footwork that we see today in MMA. Number one, Tyron Woodley. I think we've had the discussion before in the office that T. Wood undoubtedly ruined his legacy by getting beaten by Jake Paul in boxing. But let's just for a second remember what he was able to do in MMA when he was still very much a world-class fighter. He had that stocky, powerful wrestler build combined with a ton of experience at the Division 1 level. And of course, like most wrestlers do, he learned how to strike and realized he had a massive amount of power in his right hand. Not an overly complex combination, but he used it to beat some of the best welterweights in the world. He was pretty hyped in his UFC debut, but the first guy to actually put the anti-Woodley game plan into effect was Jake Shields. Tyron always had this habit of walking backwards towards the cage and then just leaping forward with his big right hand. Well, Jake just jabbed him and let him walk back to the cage, and then he held him there, and then that was that, basically. Rory McDonald basically then did the same thing, but it didn't actually stop Woodley from eventually winning the title, where his game plan continued to work until he went up against some more non-stop pressure fighters who already had the blueprint and ability to execute it, and they made it look all too easy as he lost his last four fights before retiring. There's this guy called Ben Rosette that writes our intro theme. He's been doing it for a long time, and uh, his other music's pretty good as well, so if you want to check him out and show him some thanks go find him on spotify at ben rosette if you didn't know you can also join the channel now to help support the content get early access to stuff get sneak previews and like exclusive live streams these guys have done it right here our channel champions thank you guys appreciate you every single week this was quite a fun list to write actually you know i always enjoy looking at fighter styles and then finding out about the people that counted them or the ways that they were actually you know negated eventually it's an interesting topic i enjoyed researching it if you enjoyed it give us a like always appreciate it. and you can hit the subscribe button if you're new here and you want to see more from us as well. I've been Balian. All right. Thank you very much, guys. I'll see you in the next one.